0: stand. The Lord Jesus in heaven is speaking to us by his spirit because he loves us. He is giving us this first public sermon. This is the first Christian sermon in history where the world is starting to hear who Jesus is. In this sermon is the most important fact of the all of history, and there is something in this sermon that you and I need to arrange our lives around. So let us listen to the word of heaven for us this morning, Acts 2, starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You may be seated. This sermon, the first sermon, the first public sermon preached by the indwelling Holy Spirit through the apostles, is answering the question, what does Pentecostal power mean? What does it mean? That's what they asked in verse 12. What does this mean that we are seeing and hearing? When God's Spirit had caused the disciples to speak in languages that they had never learned before. And, and, and when these Jews who were in Jerusalem, but who hailed from every nation under God, uh, under, under heaven, they were, they were hearing God's works in their own native languages and they hear that and they say, I don't understand what's going on. As we come to this passage, I would encourage you to consider that Peter's answer to them, I might give to you, whenever you witness something that is too wonderful for this world, whenever you see something that God obviously, because it's so good, that God obviously had to do this, what do you do with that? And and first, what does it mean? The power that accomplished, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, perplexes everyone who's there. They say, what should we do? That's what they're going to end up saying after Peter preaches in verse 37. They're going to hear what he says. After he says, this is what it means, they say, what should we do? Our passage this morning is Peter's three-part answer to the question, what does this mean? And you see how this is three parts. I want you to see this, where Peter is directly addressing the crowd. They've asked, what does this mean? And then he says in verse 14, men of Judea. And then he says in verse 22, as his second part of what does this mean? Men of Israel, this is what it means. Hear these words. And then in verse 29, he addresses them again. He says, this is the third part of my answer, brothers. And what he's going to show us is what we should do in light of power that we cannot explain is determined by what God has done. What you should do and how you should understand Power you don't understand is by thinking about what God is doing and what he has done. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Pentecost means, what does it mean? Pentecost means that we should call on the Lord Jesus now. This is the gospel truth. Pentecost means we should call on the Lord Jesus right now. Part one of Peter's answer to the question comes in verses 14 through 21. What does this mean? He says the last days are here. This means the last days are here. Peter's sermon, remember, it's, it's directly responding to those mockers in verse 13 who were giving the glory to what could not be understood, this, this power to make people speak in languages they could not speak of, to hear of God's mighty works in their own native tongue. They were giving the glory of that to alcohol. And Peter, I mean, you, you could say that he stands up and he says, well, it may be five o'clock somewhere. Um, But here in Jerusalem, it's nine in the morning. Um, So that's not the meaning of this confusing power. It's not drunkenness. Let me tell you what the meaning is. Verses 16 through 21. He says they're not filled with spirits. What this means is they are filled with God's spirit. The power to do what what they were seeing and hearing. Proves the last days of Joel, chapter 2. That's what he's quoting here. The last days are here. And what I want you to see is, is his point at the end of verse 20. Look there. He says, what does this mean? It means the last days are here, which means the last day is coming. The last days are here. This is what you should be thinking about when you see this power. The last days are here verse 17 and end of verse 20, that means the last day is coming. The last days are the final stage of all that God has planned for this world. The dominoes of the last days are just falling. Peter says, verses 17 and 8, last days are here. So God has poured out His Spirit, and all of God's people are prophesying. When they're saying God's mighty works, that's what they're doing. God's Spirit has filled them, and now they're talking about what God has done. And it's all of God's people, all of the 120, male and female, young and old, all of them there. Verses 19 and 20, another dominoes falling. He's saying, God is going to, the next step is God is going to show wonders in heaven and signs on the earth because we're just getting closer and closer to that last day. And as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see it's filled with these kinds of wonders. And it's not just in this chapter. And, 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 and what Peter is telling us is when you see these wonders, that are they're signals that the day that is magnificent, and in Joel, you look there. It is the day of judgment. That's the day that's coming. Now, Yesterday, I don't know if you experienced this at all, but all of our family was in the kitchen and and, 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 and dining room in the morning. We had all the, the lights off, I think, because we wanted to enjoy the storm. Um, and then all of a sudden, our entire house was lit up. And uh, half a second later, uh, I was, I mean, I, I'm not bravest, strongest fellow. But I was shaking when the thunder struck. Pentecostal power is proof that we are in the last days. And what Peter is saying is that means we are getting closer to the last day. That's what this means. And, and that last day is when the one who can make the sun and moon dark, the one who's sending that lightning, the one who's sending that thunder, the one who comes in a flame of fire, that's the day when he's going to judge all of his enemies. And then he says in verse 21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The rest of Peter's sermon is devoted to naming the Lord. Who is this Lord? Who is the only one who can save us from God's judgment? That's the rest of the sermon. Pentecost means we should call on the Lord Jesus now. Point number two comes from verses 22 through 28. What does this mean? Peter answers. It means Jesus is the resurrected Christ. Jesus is the resurrected Christ. Verse 22, once he turns from Joel... He says, hear these words. Hear these words. I've just told you, God has poured His Spirit out to possess prophets. And therefore, that's what He's done for me. Hear these words that the Spirit is moving me to preach. What is the point of Spirit Filled preaching. What is the point of spirit filled preaching? You want a church that has spirit filled preaching. What will be the point of spirit filled preaching? The point is a who and it ain't you. Hear these words. Spirit has just come inside me to prophesy. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. And preachers, good preachers, use repetition to reveal what their point is. And what does he keep on repeating? This Jesus. Verse 23. Verse 32. This Jesus. What is the point of Peter's Sermon was the point of spirit preaching? Verse 36, this Jesus. Friends, learn this point about preaching. I understand that all of us like people talking about us if it's positive things. I, I know we like to go to hear sermons that are all about us. About how we can have a great life. Or how good we are. People have never been the point of preaching. Be wise. 2 Timothy 3 and 5 make this very clear. People who are drawn to sermons that are about them are deceived by the devil. The subject of every spirit-inspired sermon is clear from the first words of the first sermon. The subject of every single spirit-inspired sermon Sermon is clear from the first words of the first sermon. The Spirit heralds Jesus of Nazareth. He preaches Jesus. That's what He does. The moment He has an opportunity to to take the mic, He says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. He says this to the people who may have forgotten about Him. That Jesus. He says this to the people want wants them to be clear who he's talking about. Not that Jesus, your cousin. Not that Jesus in the crowd. Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember that? That Jesus who was killed? That's who we're here to talk about. And he is the answer to your question. You should start to feel what they're feeling. If the answer to the question is Jesus of Nazareth, at this point, they're in big trouble. Verses 22 through 24. What happened to Jesus? That's how he's answering their question. What does this mean? What happened to Jesus? And he first says what they did to him. They crucified him. The Jewish leaders who handed Jesus to lawless men. Remember Pontius Pilate and his goons? Those Jewish leaders who handed Jesus to those lawless men. They don't have to be there listening to the sermon for him to say, Men of Israel, you crucified Jesus. On that day, the whole crowd was saying, Crucify him, all the Jews. And they also said, Let his blood be on all of our children forever. All the Jews. We're guilty of nailing Jesus to the cross because He died because of God's people and He died for God's people. So Peter can look at them and say, You crucified Him. They are guilty. They are responsible for the death of God's Son. But notice in verse 23, God was sovereign and controlled Ruled over their killing of his son. Verse 23, very clearly, this Jesus was delivered up to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned it. It was definitely going to happen. Every detail was defined in his plan. And he so he planned it and you did it, and you are guilty. For it. Listen to me. I don't know where you are with Jesus in your day to day life. Learn this from this passage. Humans there's one way to look at it. Where humans are instruments in God's plan to exalt His Son. What I mean is God will exalt His Son. That is what the God who made you is all about, is exalting His Son. And even wickedness and guilt is used for that purpose. That should at least teach you that you better get on board with Jesus because God is determined to exalt His Son. And He will use even the guilt of the guilty for that purpose. So you don't want to stay on that side against Him. What did they do? They crucified Him. But then Peter goes on to, to, to distinguish what God is doing versus what they are doing. What did God do? God raised Him. Now what do you think the, the, the crowd would be thinking whenever Peter says, you remember the guy from Nazareth? You remember the one he killed? Or you killed? God raised Him from the dead. What you did... To Jesus was all part of God's plan. He foreknew it. That does not simply mean he's a good guesser. That's not what foreknowledge means. He knew it. And if the God who can see everything knows it's going to happen, it's because he's making it happen. He's He's carrying history through to make sure wicked men will kill his Son and to make sure Jesus does not stay dead. And Peter understands this by looking at God's Word, not by looking at his heart and thinking, well, that makes sense to me, or that, that's offensive to me. He doesn't do any of that. He looks at what God said. So what was David doing in Psalm 16? And maybe this will help them along the way to believing his point. They're talking about the great King David in Psalm 16, he says whenever David was saying I and me in Psalm 16, he was not talking about himself. Look back in these verses, verses 25 through 28. Every time there's a first person singular, every time there's an I or a me or a my, what Peter's point is is when David said those things, he wasn't talking about himself. I saw the Lord before me. He's at my right hand. My heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. All of those my's and "eyes," David is speaking them, but he's not talking about himself. If you look in verses 30 and 31, you see Peter says, David was talking about his son, who is Jesus. The one who would come after him in his line. What His point is, the Lord God is at Jesus' right hand. To be at someone's right hand means you're going to carry out all the things that, that that would be good for him. You are going to work on his behalf. God worked salvation for Jesus from the death that you gave him. God was not going to abandon Jesus' soul or let His flesh corrupt or decay in the grave, but He was going to give life and His presence to Jesus. That's That's what Psalm 16 is ultimately about. And Peter is making this incredible statement in verse 24. Look at that. He says, "...it was not possible for death to hold on to Jesus." The cords that were binding Jesus in the grave had to be cut. It wasn't possible for that not to happen. Jesus had to get up out of the grave that you put him in. And Peter is grounding the impossibility of Jesus staying dead. In verses 25 through 28, he's got got reason to say it's impossible. Why? Why? Was it not possible for Jesus' body to stay in the grave long enough to decay, but on the third day be raised? It's because, he said, look back at what David said. David must not have been talking about himself. God made a promise to one of David's sons. I, this is why it's not possible, God promised, I will not abandon your soul to hell. I will not let my holy one... When my Holy One dies, He will not see corruption. Friends, death is salary for sinners. Death is salary for sinners. The wages of sin is death. When you work and all the sins you do, you're working for a salary, a paycheck, and it's death. You're getting what you deserve. I get what I deserve. That's what death is. But Jesus is the Holy One. He is the only one who never sinned. He never said no to God. Never. Jesus knew verses 22 and 23. He knew the definite plan of God. He knew That when he came to earth, he was going to be put in the hands of wicked men. He knew they would crucify him. He knew God was saying, my son, you're going to go down there and you're going to take the salary for sinners. You don't deserve to die. You're going to do it for them. And you're going to give to them the guilty who kill you. What you have worked for, all the goodness. And Jesus is so holy That he hears that deal. He's so consecrated and devoted to doing everything. Whatever pleases you, Father, is exactly what I'm going to do. That when the Father laid out the plan, Jesus said, yes. David was holy. He's not that holy. Think about David. Think about David. Think about David and how he became the king of God's people Remember those times where Saul's trying to kill him. And David, in order to become king, can't be killed. He can't let Saul kill him. And then there's these couple of times where he could have killed Saul. Remember, David's holy. And so he would not lift a finger against God's king. If Saul's going to die and I'm going to take the, the throne, it can't be by my hand. He's holy. Jesus is more holy. Jesus would not let killers not kill him Saul wants to kill David and he wouldn't let David wouldn't let that happen but he also wouldn't kill Saul Jesus would not let killers not kill him he had to say yes to the killing and what peter is saying is the resurrection means Jesus is the Christ He is that descendant of David you should have been waiting for. And listen, if God is committed to the one that you murdered and God always gets His way. Well, Pentecost means we should call on the Lord Jesus now. And... Pentecost means the last days are here, which means the last day is coming. And Pentecost means that, that, that Jesus is the resurrected Christ. But then third, Pentecost means that Jesus is the ascended Lord. The fact that these things, powerful things have happened by the Spirit, this preaching about God's mighty works have gone out, means that Jesus is the ascended Lord, verses 29 through 36. So here, Peter just keeps on pointing to things that will persuade this crowd that's so confused. And so he brings up what happened to David again. And verse 29, he says, don't you remember what happened to David? He died. And you know that. I mean, you've seen his tomb. And and so therefore, verses 30 and 31 he didn't just die, he prophesied. That's what he was doing in all of his songs whenever he said things like he was going to survive death. He must have been prophesying about someone else. Friends, I just want to point you to verse 32. And, and anytime you're tempted to fuss at me for just repeating myself in preaching, I just want you to see the first sermon and how Peter just keeps on repeating himself in verse 32. What did God do? David died, but God didn't raise David. He raised Jesus. He says to the crowd, you have seen David's tomb. Well, I've seen Jesus's tomb. And he ain't there. And it's not just me saying. All of us. All of these people prophesying who have the spirit. And God said he was going to send the spirit on all of his people. And and you're not included at this point on, on all of his people. We're his people. And, and we're His people because we've seen and believed in the resurrected Christ. Men of Israel, brothers, you've been waiting for God's Son to come and be your King forever. Listen to these words and know this. God set the One that you crucified on David's throne. And so now. Having their attention. Peter shifts. To what that man from Nazareth. Is doing. Started the day. Where they thought he was decaying. And and now Peter is ready. To tell them what Jesus is actually doing. That is part of. Peter's answer to what does this mean? Well, in order to explain what this means, I've got to tell you what Jesus of Nazareth is now doing. And he's doing two things. First of all, in verse 33, he's sending. Jesus is sending. He's not decaying in the ground anymore. He's up in heaven sending. Jesus is the one Peter says, who experienced what David prophesied in verse 28. Jesus is that one who has now been brought a- after death into God's presence. You see that? In verse 33. What David said that did not happen to David has happened to Jesus. He's now in God's presence. And when Jesus got into God's presence, the Father gave Him the Spirit and it was Jesus. You want to know what this means? How did this happen? It was Jesus who did it. Jesus sent the Spirit. What you're seeing and hearing is from Him. What it means is that Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God. Men of Israel, and friends at Redeemer Church, may God have mercy on our souls. Because this Jesus sent the Spirit of God. Which means, you know, if, if verse 17 If verse 17 says that God is saying, I will pour out the Spirit, but but then in verse 33, you see the same words. He poured out the Spirit. And we know the He in verse 33 is Jesus. May God have mercy on our souls. Because that means that the One we crucified is God. The reason they can't see Jesus of Nazareth, we can't see Jesus of Nazareth walking around earth today like like the apostles had seen Him before He was taken up into heaven, the reason for that is because the God who these Jews profess to know has exalted that Lord Jesus to the throne. There's a second thing that Jesus is doing that's even scarier. In the context of this sermon, it's even scarier, depending on where you are with Jesus. And everyone who he was talking to that day were in a certain place. It would have been terrifying to them. Why is it that so many respond to this sermon in verse 37 with a cry? What are we going to do? You tell me what to do now. It's because of the second thing that Jesus is doing in verses 34 and 35. The scariest thing that Jesus is doing right now, that this means he's doing, is he's sitting. Jesus is sitting. Peter goes to another Psalm of David, Psalm 110. and, and Peter saying, I mean don't you just read the Bible like obviously David didn't think that he would be the one who ascended into God's presence and be the Lord because David said this in verses 34 and 35 David said the Lord said to my lord you not not you David but you my lord David's Lord you're the one who's going to sit at God's right hand until God makes David's Lord, or David's, David's Lord's enemies, his footstool. Sit at my right hand. Sit here. While I do something else, I make your enemies your footstool. I hope you get the visual. Peter's coming to his conclusion Remember, what does this mean? It means the last days are here and the last day is coming, the day of God's judgment. And what it means is right now you should call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And all of this is leading up to that answer to that question. Who is this Lord? Who is, what I mean is, who is the the Lord of the day of the Lord? Who is the Lord who is going to judge us? It's the one at God's right hand. He is the one who's going to do God's work of judging. And David's in the ground. Jesus, verse 36, is that Lord of David who is sitting, which should scare you. He's not judging for God yet because God is still doing something for him. What does this mean? Verse 36, is this answer that all of what Peter has been saying is leading to? Remember, it's a question of meaning. What does this mean? And Peter, from the beginning of speaking, said you need to know this. The answer is an answer of knowledge. What does it mean? You're wanting to understand what it means. Well, let me tell you what you should know. Verse 36, let all The house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus who you crucified. What does Pentecostal power mean if Jesus is not the Lord? Of your whole life. Peter's sermon is first addressed to crucifiers. It's it's the followers of Christ who are behind him. Hearing what he's saying to them. Crucifiers. and, And what it means is you. If Jesus is not the Lord of your whole life. You should know for certain. That God has set his king on. And what I want to ask you is, does God's attitude toward Jesus affect your attitude toward Jesus at all? Verse 35. God is at work for Jesus still. Look at what He's doing. God, right now, this is what this means. He's lining enemies up for Jesus's. Heel to come down. That's what that language means. God is lining the heads of Jesus' enemies under the heel of Jesus. And so when he stops sitting, he's going to stand. And when he does that, all the enemies will be crushed. That's what this means. And whenever you see anything that is too wonderful to be explained by this world, Whenever, even, what does this mean? That we're hearing the works of God in a way that we can understand it. When you hear Jesus, when someone says something to you about Jesus, that's true. What does it mean for you? It means you crucified Him. That's what it means. You don't have to be Jewish. You just have to be a sinner. And yet, though this... This message is clearly, you just read it in context, is a threat. There's also good news. Jesus died because of the ones he died for. Yes, the ones he was dying for are the reason he died. They crucified him, but he was also dying for them. And there's another sentence in Joel that Peter did not quote, but I'll quote it for you. Right after this, he says, for there shall be those who escape. And among the survivors of that day of judgment will be those who the Lord calls. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to Peter. Listen to the Holy Spirit. You do not make Jesus Lord of your life or anything. You don't do that. God already did that. God made him both Lord and Christ. I'm not telling you to make Him Lord of your life. You can't do that. You don't do that. It's done. What I'm telling you is you better acknowledge what God has done. Jesus is Lord and Christ. Bow your knee to Him now. Repent of every sin against Him and treating Him like He's not important and follow Him with all of your life. And you will escape His heel you will be saved. What does Pentecostal power, though, mean for those who follow Christ? It means we should know for certain that Jesus is Lord. If you're a believer, you should know for certain that Jesus is Lord. You should know that, which means you and I are not the ones who live like his enemies, like he's not Lord. By definition, those who know that he's Lord do what he says. That's what we see in this passage, right? He says, I will send the Spirit and you will be my witnesses. And and then he sent the Spirit and then they were his witnesses. And that's the same call for us. If he's going to be our Lord, then we should devote our whole lives to witnessing to the one that God is working for. So, I mean, we should be asking this constantly. How is it that I can give a witness to the lordship of Jesus, that he is my king whenever I face difficulties of any kind? What does it look like for Jesus for me to witness that he is the king and I trust him, he's in control whenever I'm facing hardship at work? How does every time I swipe a credit card show that my king is Jesus? How does, whenever you get hurt by somebody else, how does it, how do you show, how do you give witness to the fact that he is the king? Or, or when the tables are turned and you need to be forgiven, how, how is it that you witness to the fact that Christ is king? The words you choose. To your family, do they show that you know for certain that he's the Lord? But I want to give you a second thing. What does it mean? It means that you should know for certain that Jesus is the Christ. That's the Mm -hmm. promised son of David. That's the one who's going to destroy all of his enemies. That's the one who's going to give peace to all of his people. That's the one whose, whose reign will never end and of the increase of his government and of peace... There will be no end. He is the Christ. You should know that for certain. So when, whenever Israel meets David and they've just got Saul and they're seeing the wonders of their new Christ, David, they start singing. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. Look how he protects us. Look how all of his enemies, our enemies, fall at his feet. Verses 34 and 35 should make you sing, Jesus has His tens of millions. No one can beat our King. And I I would just say that if, if Peter says that all the times in Psalm 16 that David was using first person singular, I, me, and my... then then we can look back in Psalm 16 and say that he was speaking for his son Jesus whenever he wrote the rest of the words. And let me just read you verse 3 from the mouth of David, always meaning Jesus. Listen, as for the saints in my land, they are the excellent ones. Listen to the Lord Jesus in Psalm 16. The saints are the ones in whom is all my delight. All my delight. If you know for certain that Jesus is that son of David, then you can know for certain that all of his delight is in you if you are his. Christ is alive forever, which means he can bless you forever, which means he can protect you forever which means that he's defeated death not just for himself, but for you. Which means he, he removed his heel from your head and he instead crushed Satan for you. It means he delights in you. And you can know that for certain. Pentecost means we should call on the Lord Jesus right now. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would cause us to live our lives like we know something. There, there may be all kinds of people confused about what's going on in the world, confused by goodness, confused by power. We're not confused. We know what it means. It means you're in heaven and you are caring about your will for the people you delight, and for your glory. And We pray that everyone here would bow the knee. Lord Jesus, you cause them. I'm not asking for their permission. I'm asking you. You cause them to love you. Cause them to flee your judgment in you. And we ask this with total confidence because we trust you and your kingdom shall never end. Amen.